This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange traded funds with Global X ETFs. Exchange traded funds, or ETFs for short, create baskets of stocks, bonds, and other assets that you can buy in a single trade. Global X specializes in ETFs that track emerging trends, like the rise of artificial intelligence, as well as strategies aimed to generate income potential. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to discover how you can get started. When former Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis resigned from office in December, he did so in protest. It's a departure that has sent shockwaves across Washington and the world. Jim Mattis is not resigning because he's tired. Marines don't get tired. This was a resignation based on principle. At the time, Mattis did something pretty unusual. He wrote a letter explaining his resignation. The letter was a critique of President Trump's relationships with American allies and Trump's approach to military strategy. Now, after months of silence, Mattis has written something else, a book that expands on the same themes that were in his resignation letter. Today on the show, former Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis talks about his fears of rising authoritarianism, why he joined the Trump administration, and what he wants to see in American politics. Welcome to The Journal, our daily show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Tuesday, September 3rd. What has Mattis' career been like? It's unusual in the sense that he started not as a service academy guy, not a sort of a high-flying, up-from-the-elites kind of an officer, but got into the Marines, as he says, because he thought he was going to be drafted. So instead, he joined the Marines, worked his way up from low-ranking officer to commanding officer to four-star general, mostly by actually leading troops. Jerry Seib has reported on politics in Washington for decades, and he's known Mattis for about 10 years. So when Mattis's book came out, Jerry arranged for an interview with him to talk about Mattis's career and how he became Secretary of Defense. He didn't expect this. Uh, he had retired from the Marines. He was out in California at uh, Stanford, among other things, and then got a call sort of out of the blue from Vice President Mike Pence, do you want to come and interview to be uh, Defense Secretary? Uh, he was an unusual choice, but I think President Trump was attracted to him for a couple of reasons. One, he was suggested by some people around President Trump, uh, knowing that he would be unconventional. It's unusual. It's only the second time ever a retired military officer has become Secretary of Defense. Who was the first? The first was was George Marshall right after World War II during the Cold War. So it's it's a very exclusive club. <laughs> um, but I think President Trump was attracted to Jim Mattis because um, uh, he was known as being an aggressive military commander. You know, the, 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 the name that he, some gave to Jim Mattis that President Trump liked was Mad Dog Mattis. Uh, I actually don't know people who called him that, but some did. And that kind of aggressive uh, reputation, I think, appealed to President Trump. And why did he resign? He resigned because he had disagreements with the president. He was very upfront about it at the time he left. He, he wrote a resignation letter, which he then released publicly, in which he said, my advice was not being taken anymore, and it wasn't resonating, and so it was time to go. And by that, he meant specifically 
his advice on two particular points. One was the question of whether U.S. troops should be pulled out of Syria. That was something President Trump very much wanted to do at the time, and he, Jim Mattis, thought that was a bad idea. And as he stated publicly in the letter, uh, his belief in the importance of allies and treating allies with respect uh, and President Trump had then and continues now to criticize allies, including and especially maybe NATO allies, uh, quite openly. And, and I think uh, General Mattis thought that was not the way you dealt with people who went to war with you. And so both of those things combined led him to conclude, my time here is probably up. We're about to get to your interview with General Mattis. But before we do, when someone is listening to it, what should they be listening for? I, I think you have to listen for the struggle that he is experiencing as he tries to lay out both what he believes and how he conducted himself as defense secretary and how he conducted himself when he left the job with the commitment not to become a critic of the president that one served. Uh, you, can, you can feel the struggle within him, and I think that's very interesting and almost poignant. After the break, Jerry Seib's interview with former Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing carefully, consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Company. Welcome back. Jerry talked to Mattis from his home in Washington State. I'm in a place with no TV, no radio. I call it my hunting cabin, and uh, it is a wonderful refuge. That's awesome. Well, you're going to have to leave it to come east and sell your book. You know that, right? If I'd known I had to do a book tour, it was expected. I might have reconsidered signing up for writing a book <laughs> in that 2013. Too late. Uh, too late. Yep. Okay, here we go. So, General Jim Mattis... The book is Call Sign Chaos, Learning to Lead. Thanks for coming to talk with us about it. Uh, it's a pleasure, Jerry. Happy to be here. You write that at this time we can see storm clouds gathering. What are the storm clouds you're worried about? I think today democracy is under attack. Uh, there are authoritarians who believe that they have a better idea. And as we look around the world, we need to be standing strong with our democratic allies over 40 years in public service, uh, I had the privilege to fight many times for America. Not once did I fight in an all-American formation. 
all America is, as far as I'm concerned, is a great big experiment in democracy, an experiment to see if a government of the people and by the people and for the people can continue to function based on compromise and respect. And that's the same sort of uh, attitude I think we have to have toward our allies. You're worried about authoritarian regimes. Which ones are you worrying about right now when you say that? Well, it's clear, Jerry, I can still remember when Russian Marines and U.S. Marines trained together in North Carolina for peacekeeping missions. Those days are are long gone. And Russia, with its invasion of the Ukraine, has proven to be an authoritarian state that wants a veto authority over the nations along its periphery. It has kept Assad in power uh, as he murders tens of thousands of his own people. Russia is one of those authoritarian regimes we have to deal with as it is, not as we would like it to be under Putin. China has a very authoritarian streak, and it, I think, again, shows this desire for a diplomatic and security and economic veto over other nations' decisions. It's as if they want other nations to be tribute nations in the finest uh, tradition of the Qin dynasty. And it's just not feasible for us to say that they would be authoritarians at home and somehow internationally they would be respectful of other people. You can't square that circle. Does it trouble you when you hear President Trump say things that suggest he does not necessarily consider President Putin an authoritarian leader? Well, I'm, uh, I'm, I don't want to get into political assessments of a sitting president. I left office over policy disagreements. The president and I were, were upfront about what those disagreements were. I put them in my letter, and that's all I, I really want to say about that. For those who are still in office, I think when you leave office over a policy disagreement, you need to give them a time of silence. I owe them a time of silence. They're dealing with very, very difficult issues. We've got a million of our young troops all standing tall, protecting the country, defending the country, and I don't want to make it more difficult by making political assessments. I was part of the defense establishment for over 45 years, and as my predecessor, as Secretary Ash Carter put it, we don't do politics. We try to stay focused on the strategic situation and the threats as we see them. So after all those years with a uniform on, you took it off and you worked for two years for the president as Secretary of Defense. Are you glad you did it? Jerry, I was raised by the greatest generation. And if they were the greatest generation living through a depression and World War II and defeating fascism and then creating the most prosperous country on earth, uh, I was part of the luckiest generation, raised by them. And government service is a privilege, it's an honor, it's noble, it's a duty. And when a president of the United States, Republican or Democrat, male or female, when they ask you to do something, so long as you think you're ready, so long as you think you're prepared, then I think the only response is yes you do it. You don't sit up there, as I say in the book, wringing your hands and wondering, you know, to be or not to be. Just get over it. Go in, do your best, give your straight up advice, 
I read at times that I was blocking or slow rolling things that President Trump wanted. That's not the way I deal with things. I'm from the West. Out here, we ride for the brand. And bottom line is I would have lunch or private meeting or Oval Office meeting with the president every week when we were in town. And I was right up front. We had very open discussions. And I think that so long as you're, you're honest, and I was with the president right from the first job interview when we disagreed about the value of NATO and about the use of torture, and he walked out and still hired me even after disagreeing with him. That gives you a, an idea of how you do the job when you sign up. So by all means, when, when asked to sign up, I encourage all the, the people out there, when the president asks you to serve, then you serve the country, you serve the Constitution, and give it your best shot. An interesting phenomenon in this town I'm in, which is Washington, is the relationship between military leadership and political leadership. And there was an experiment within that realm in the Trump administration, what the president referred to as my generals, three generals in particular, you as a filling of the job that's normally taken by a civilian at the as Secretary of Defense, your colleague John Kelly, first at the Department of Homeland Security and then as White House Chief of Staff, H.R. McMaster, National Security Advisor. So you had generals in roles normally taken by civilians. Was that a good idea? Would you advise it in the future? I think we came in uh, with the right intention. I know those generals. I think every one of us was surprised at the invitation to join the administration because uh, John McMaster, uh, General Kelly, myself, we'd taken no role in the election. Uh, in my case, I'd never met Mr. Trump until he was the president-elect when I was called back for the interview. And I will let history judge whether it was a good idea or not and, and our performance. I, I've never been objective when evaluating my own performance. <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> um, you did have in the book some pretty tough words about the political culture of this country right now. Let me, let me read you a quote from the book. You wrote, quote, what concerns me most as a military man is not our external adversaries. It's our internal divisiveness. We are dividing into hostile tribes cheering against each other, fueled by emotion and a mutual disdain that jeopardizes our future instead of rediscovering our common ground and finding solutions. Jeopardizes our future is pretty stark, um, what did you see that uh, leads you to that conclusion? Well, our democracy has been through worse, and the Constitution uh, was set up to be hard. It's supposed to be hard to govern. We want it to be hard. But I think what's happened here is that we've forgotten that in extremists, uh, we always have to pull together. We face tough times. We face tough issues. And... I'm concerned that we're, we're not trying to fix problems anymore. And we need, to, we need to roll up our sleeves, sit down, and fix them. For example, in the military, I tried to use an approach that I think is summed up by how George Washington led his revolutionary army back when we were fighting to be a country. Remember, we had a military before we had a country. And it was listen, learn, help, and then lead. So I think we all need to roll up our sleeves and listen to one another, learn from one another, accepting that maybe once in a while the people we disagree with could be right, 
uh, help one another, help to understand, help to solve problems locally on the state level and the national level, and then we lead. Don't start by leading without understanding what the problem is as others see it. I don't think we're in dire times. I don't think our democracy needs to be babied. I have no problem with tough arguments, but afterwards we should all go out and have a beer or a root beer or a Dr. Pepper and sit down and get to know each other on a human level and not let politics basically wipe out all other human aspects of our relationship with one another. We need to get back to a fundamental friendliness and respect for one another and make sure that we're not, uh, we're not choosing our, our friends uh, solely on their politics. That's, not, that's no way for a democracy to operate. You know, you talked about the period of silence that you feel you're obliged to uh, assume regarding the president and the current administration. I'm wondering how long that period of silence lasts. Is there a time when it ends? Is it end by 2020, for example? Well, I'll know when it's the right time. It'll be on strategic issues. I was brought up too long in the military tradition. We don't do politics. You can say that we do, uh, but in fact, our goal is to protect the political system, the people, the values, the Constitution, as they stand, as they act, and be also an example by our own personal conduct, our own professional conduct, of what leadership of diverse populations, what leadership in a democracy means in terms of respect for one another. So while I'll talk about strategic issues, uh, I'm not here to speak ill of a sitting president. I'm not probably going to enter into any kind of political judgments as I go forward. Strategy, how we should carve out America's role in the world, no reservations. At, at some point, I'll speak more to that. For a period, I owed this, this period of quiet to those who are still protecting the country, who are still representing us diplomatically, and who are trying to make the right decisions. Hey, Jerry, it's Kate. Hi. Hi. So one thing I heard from your interview is Mattis is making it very clear that he doesn't want to criticize the president. Totally. Crystal clear. Crystal clear. How do you read that? Uh, you know, I read it for what it's worth. I tend to take um, General Mattis at his word on most things. Uh, when he says, I think it is improper for somebody to who served a sitting president to then criticize that sitting president publicly, that's what he believes. What's your takeaway from your interview with him? The thing that he clearly believes most strongly is that America does not exist in this world alone. We do not survive without allies. I think he believes it is the most important thing um, that he wants to convey to people. And as he, as he says in the interview, I fought, I, I was in the Marines for 40 years. I fought many places. I never fought alone. I always fought with other nations at my side. And I think that, if above all things else, that is the thing that Jim Mattis wants Americans to hear him say um, in the book and in the things he said in the interview. 
And then I think he wants to retreat for a while, um, not have much to say, and reemerge later when um, people want to listen to his strategic thoughts, not just his views of President Trump. So I think you're going to see Jim Mattis for a while. And then you're probably not going to see him for a while until things calm down and uh, he can talk about the state of the world, not the state of the Trump administration. That's all for today, Tuesday, September 3rd. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.